0: Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. We're talking about prison. Uh, you know, and like I said, some of you may, you may feel like your house is a prison. Well, that's not really a prison. You know, what we saw is a prison. But we're talking about prisons in life. Um, you ever feel like you're stuck in a place that you just can't get out of? Um, you know, you feel like you're in a situation um, that you just you can't deal with? Um, well, sometimes we get in those situations, and what do we do? Last week, we talked about how we can have joy even while in prison. We talked about Paul and how he was, um, in Philippians, he said he was in prison, but he was glad that he was in prison. He had joy because people were, people were getting saved literally because he was in prison. Um, tonight, what we're going to talk about, last week, it was joy behind bars. Tonight, it's going to be faith, or excuse me, it's going to be prayer behind bars, and we're going to talk about um, Peter. Peter and we're going to talk about the fact that he was put in a prison, probably one of the most terrible prisons and one of the most inescapable prisons. But through prayer, people praying for him, God allowed him and and did this miracle where he escaped this prison and escaped death. Um, So the theme of tonight is going to be praying for people that we know that are in prison. Um, Who is it that you, you know, last week we talked about if you feel like you're in prison. Who is it you know that is in a very terrible situation in their life? Who, you don't 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 say you know don't say don't say the name don't say the name but just just I want I want you thinking this is a rhetorical question who is it that you, you they're just in a terrible situation whether they live in a really bad like home where the family just is is a mess um, maybe somebody that is, is having some health problems that they just feel like they're trapped by um, who you know, who is it in your life when I said you have a friend or you have a family member that's, that's kind of like in a mental or emotional or spiritual prison. Who's the first person that came to your mind? Um, sometimes we get frustrated because, like, we really want to help our friends or we really want to help our mom or our dad or you know, somebody that, that is close to us, but we feel like there's nothing that we can do. Like, there's nothing we can do to get them out of that prison. But tonight, kind of like the punchline of what we're talking about, is prisons, there's prayer storms, even the strongest prisons. Prayer storms, even the strongest prisons. That if you commit with other people, to praying for someone that God will work in their lives. Um, So if you have your Bible, open up to Acts chapter 12. Um, This is one of my favorite stories um, because it involves buff men, humor, angels, and prayer. Um, So, you know, you can't go wrong. uh, You can't go wrong with this. Um, But we're going to read Acts chapter 12. We're just going to read the first couple verses here, actually verses 1 through 17. Um, It reads pretty quick. It's like one of those stories that just like draws you in. Um, so Acts chapter 12, verse uh, starting in verse 1, um, let's read it together. It says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church to persecute them. Um, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. That's a fancy way of saying he was beheaded, by the way. Uh, when he saw that this met approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, Peter, he put him in prison, handing, handing him over to be guarded by four guards." Four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but... It's one of the big butts of the Bible. I like big butts, and I cannot lie. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. That night, Herod was to bring him to trial. Before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between the two soldiers bound by two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side like, you know, you ever have somebody wake you up in a not-so-nice way? He said, Peter, quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and your sandals. (laughs) Like, Peter, you're naked. Put some clothes on. Uh, Put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea the angel what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought, you ever have one of those like, out-of-body experiences? You think it's a dream? That's what Peter was having. He, you know, he's like, yeah, angel, like, chains fell off me. You know. Okay. So it says they passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened by, for them by itself. The gate opened by itself, um, leading them into the city. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself, verse 11, and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, from everything the Jewish people was, was hoping to happen. Verse 12, When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, mother of John, also called Mark, where the people were gathered and praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it it must be his angel. Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking. When they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. Peter mentioned motioned with his hand to them to be quiet. And described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. So, kind of long story short, Peter gets put in prison. Why did Peter get put in prison? Well, because at that point, Christianity was very countercultural. Christianity was actually illegal. We think of America as, well, kind of maybe that it was a Christian nation. Hey, Gabe, if you're going to be talking out, go ahead and head out the door and sit on the couch, okay? Thank you. Um, so, what we're, what we're talking about is we're talking about Peter. Peter was put in prison. Why was he put in prison? Christianity was illegal. In the, in the United States, Christianity is like kind of considered, maybe not so much as it used to be, but considered the norm. And Christians are kind of thought of, well, maybe they're good people. Back then, it's like, you're a Christian. A, we're going to put you in prison. B, we're going to put you to death if you don't renounce the name of Jesus. Peter and James were two of the leaders of the church. So all the government officials, you know, the Jim Justices of Israel since he's kind of popular right now, or infamous, um, you know, they, were, they were trying to find Christians to put him to death because it was met with public approval. When, when they put Christians to death and they publicly executed Christians, crowds showed up and were like, oh yeah, you're the best governor, you're the best president ever because you killed these Christians. So he got James, who was one of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, and he put him to death. He arrested Peter, and he's like, they liked it when I killed James. I'm going to kill Peter, too. He, he, he brings Peter and puts him in prison, but there's this problem. There's this Jewish festival going on called the Passover, which was one day, and then there was this Feast of Unleavened Bread that went for seven more days. So he's like, okay, once this Passover celebration, Feast of Unleavened Bread is over, when it's illegal to have trials and kill anyone, then I'm going to kill him. I'm going to chop his head off. I want his head to roll down the mountain. You know, and, and he, he's like, everybody's going to be so, so, like, you know, heap all this praise on me for killing him so peter's in prison he's not just in prison like you know you know, lifetime you know, a life sentence like he's in prison he's on death row and he's on death row and and as soon as this passover's over everybody knows he's going to be killed so the people the church they get together they get in the in, in the home of mary this isn't mary jesus's mother This isn't Mary Jesus' mother. This is um, Mary the mother of Mark who wrote the book Mark in the Bible. And they all crowd into Mary's house and they have an all-night prayer-a-thon. And they pray and they pray and they pray. And as they are praying, Peter is shackled. He's attached to two guards. Like he's attached by chains locked up to two Roman centurions and there are two at the door that are guarding the door. He ain't getting out. But this angel shows up Goes up to Peter, says, Peter, wake up, wake up. And Peter hoo, hoo, wakes up, kind of halfway, thinks he's dreaming. And then all of a sudden these the shackles just fall off his wrists. We assume that maybe the people, the guys that were he was attached to were either asleep or that the angel, your God had blinded their eyes and just to where they couldn't understand what was going on. They walk out of the prison, walk past the two guys guarding the door, the gates open for him, and they walk through the gates. Peter shows up at Mary's house, and it's kind of funny because you know, they were all praying that Peter would be delivered from prison, and Peter's knocking at the door, and the servant girl, like, kind of like the butler lady, you know, is like, hey guys, Peter's at the door, like, hey, hold on, we're praying for Peter, we can't be disturbed by somebody at the door right now, we're praying that Peter gets out of prison. They're like, she's like, it's Peter, and like, nah, it can't be Peter, he's in prison, and it was actually Peter. So that's the story. <laughs> um, like I said, it's got you know, it's got it's got big buff uh, security guards. It's got you know, it's got humor. It's got prayer. Uh, so it's one of my fa- it's one of my favorite stories. But we learn a couple things. Um, so remember when I asked you who's the person in your life that you think the friend, the family member in your life that you're like really concerned about? Like you feel like they're just kind of like locked in this like emotional prison. Who is that um, tonight? Maybe a subtitle of our lesson could be praying for prisoners. Praying for people who are like in a spiritual prison. Um, and there are five ways that we need to learn to pray to pray for prisoners. So let's just kind of go through them. They, they follow and they kind of hinge on this one verse. So I'm going to read this verse again. It's verse 5 of Acts 12. And it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The first thing that we learn is prayer should be when I'm praying for somebody who's in prison, prayer should be my first response rather than. My last resort. Prayer should be my first response rather than my last resort. Um, I wish, I kind of do, but I wish I had time. Like, I could spend, like, pro- I'm not going to. I could probably spend 20 minutes walking you through. This is Acts chapter 12. The first 12 chapters of Acts. All the times when the church, every time something happened, every time there's something happened that almost, like, concerned them, their first reaction, they always started Praying. They always met together and prayed. Jesus left them. That's kind of a big deal, right? If Jesus hangs out with you and he leaves you, you'd be distraught, right? Jesus hung out with them. He left them. What do they do? Acts 1:14, it says they all joined together constantly in prayer. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the Holy Spirit comes on, you know what they were doing? It says they were all in one place, praying together. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says they devoted, meaning this, you know, this church devoted themselves to the apostles', apostles fellowship, the t- breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 3:1. 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. I'm going to wear some of your all's fingers out, aren't I? Um, yeah, Peter and John get beat to death and say, You will not preach the name of Jesus again. Acts 4:24. They heard this, they raised their voices in prayer together, and if you see later in verse 31, when they finished this prayer, it said, the place where they were meeting shook. They prayed so much that there was a God quake, like that literally happened, and yeah, I could go on and on, Acts chapter 6 verse 4, Acts chapter 7 verse 59, Acts chapter 8 verse 15, Acts chapter 9 verse 40, every time something would happen that like that, that that startled them, every time something happened that would normally cause them fear, what they did was they took that fear and they automatically like offloaded it to God. Um, how often do we do that? How often is prayer our first response? I have a picture of this tutor's Biscuit because I've had tutor's Biscuits the past three days in a row. Um, because um, I've been single dad in it because um, uh, April's been out of the country and it's also been no school so Addison and I have spent more time together this week than we ever have. And um, we were driving by Tutors, and I was like, and, and Addison's like, what restaurant is that? I was like, Well, Addie, it's called Tutors. And she just thought that was the funniest thing ever. There's a restaurant called Toot Tutors, you know? She's like, Do they toot in Tutors? She's like, I wanna, I wanna eat a tutor, I wanna eat at Tutors and then toot. And so, so we we have this new, like, yeah, we started this, it's a three-day old tradition. In the morning, because she comes into work with me. In the morning, about eight eight o'clock, we swing by tutors. We get biscuits. We come back to my office. We eat our biscuits and we toot together. Uh, so, so, but <laughs> that's probably actually true. Um, so, um, so, but here's what here's why I have this picture of Tudor's biscuit. Addison knows that I'm kind of like a neat germophobic person, but the way that she eats is just like Tasmanian devil stuff over everything. So I was letting her. I made the mistake letting her eat her. Pepe, and you know how the messy, like the melted cheese. She was eating that peppy with my iPad. And, you know, she, she would, and then, and then, and I mean, it was just, so, it was covered. But she was like, she knows me very well. And she's like, okay, daddy's not going to like that I got this. So she ran to the restroom. She got paper towels to try to fix her mess. And what ended up happening was she, tra- yeah, there was still obviously cheese on the iPad, but the cheese was transferred to the seat. The cheese was transferred to her shirt. The cheese was transferred to my wall. And I walk back into my office. She's just sitting there crying. You know, she's a sweet girl. But she was sitting there just crying because she tried so hard to get herself out of this situation. And all she did was make it ten times worse. But that's what we do uh, when things happen in our lives. And sometimes even when things happen in our friends' and our family's lives is we like, we're like, okay, I can fix this. You know, okay, mom's not happy. I can fix this. Like my parents are fighting, I can fix this. And you try to do things to make it better. You try to do things to help your friends, but sometimes you're just like Addison, and you're trying to clean. You're trying to clean, clean the cheese out of your friend's life, but all you're doing is spread the cheese all over. You know you. you as sometimes the harder we try, do you ever feel like that, the harder you try in a situation, the worse you make the situation? Have you considered that maybe what God is calling us to do is not to try to fix the situation ourselves, but to take the situation and give it to Him, the only one who can actually fix the situation? Uh, can I just tell you like the, you know, the more I talk to you guys, get to know you guys, I've realized you know, there are a couple things that gen- certain generations battle more than others. And I really think your generation is like one of the, the big battles you have is with anxiety. Um, you know, sometimes it's like you know, more of a medical type of anxiety. Sometimes it's this paralyzing fear. And what I've also noticed is that anxiety isn't just always just something that you carry, but it's something that you carry for people in your life. Um, you're concerned about people and you're concerned that maybe if you do something wrong, you're going to push this person over the edge. But if you do this, something wrong, like you're going to make their life worse. You, you, they're, they're in such a fragile state that if you say the wrong thing or if you do the wrong thing, you, they're, they're going to get worse. But can I tell you the greatest thing you can do, the greatest thing you can do for the burden that you bear for your friends or for your family is to take that burden and to give it to God. So who is the person in your life that you feel like, who's your friend that's a prisoner? If you're going to pray for that prisoner, the first thing you got to learn is before you... And there, there is time for action, right? There is time to jump in and get involved in your friend's life, but our first response should be to take what we've learned, to take our concerns, and to give them to God. And what's so cool is when you do that, God starts speaking to your heart through the Holy Spirit and guiding you to do the right thing to help your friends and help your family and to help yourself. So prayer should be my first response... Instead of my last resort. You see, here it says they were praying to God. You know, they're taking their problems to the only one who could really fix it. So, prayer should be my um, first response rather than my last resort. The other interesting thing is it says they were praying for Him. They were praying for Him, so we should pray for our prisoners. Um, Prayer storms even the strongest prisons. That's kind of the next thing that we want to remember as we're praying for these, praying for our prisoners, praying for the people that we know that are in prison. Prayer will storm even the strongest prisons. Um, Some of you know what this area is that I have on the screen. You don't want to go in there. You just don't. You don't. You don't want to go into the Hawkins National Laboratory. You just don't. You know, you're going to see things that you won't be able to unsee. Okay? So, um, you may get upside down if you go into that. Um, so, um. So there are certain things that we have no control of over. And think about the, think about the the um, the church as they were praying for Peter, they had zero control over the situation. Um, you learn in verse uh, verse four that Paul was guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Most Bible scholars believe that what the way that worked is um, it was four sets of soldiers who traded off times guarding Paul. And like I said, Paul was chained to two soldiers. Like he'd not going anywhere without those two soldiers, right? And that there were two soldiers at the door. Roman soldiers were like battle trained, battle hardened, had an incredible physical training like regimen. So they were buff dudes. They knew how to kill people. You know, I- I'm always impressed by those guys that have had all this specialized training, and they can like just like like go like this, and you know somebody's on the ground. Like hand-to-hand combat, like those are the guys that were guarding Paul, that were guarding Peter. Um, this church, you know, this church, they met in this house. There was nothing they could do. If they couldn't go down to the prison and rescue uh, Peter themselves, they couldn't lobby the government because the government hated them. Um, they couldn't pay people off because they were poor and didn't have any money. <laughs> I think something is going on at the Hawkins National Laboratory. <laughs> there was, but think about it. There was, nothing that this church, there was nothing that these Christians could do, or so they thought, until they started praying. What's so cool about prayer is that people can say no to you. People can say no to the gospel, but they're powerless against your prayers. Um, you may be limited geographically with the person that you're concerned about. You know, you may have someone that lives in, I don't know, Florida, Tennessee, that is not saved. And you can't go to them and be with them, but you can pray for them. And prayer is worldwide. I can pray for April while she's in Columbia. She can pray for me while she's in Columbia and I'm up here. Um, prayer is not limited by prison bars Prayer is the one thing that you can do when you feel like you can't do anything else. But what's so awesome is prayer is actually the greatest thing you can do, um, because you're inviting God into the situation. You know, God doesn't need an invitation, but what we learn um, a lot of, in prayer is that God oftentimes will will. I'm trying to think. You ever you ever get a brain fart? I just had a brain fart. I've been eating too much tutors. Okay. Um, God is not God God doesn't have to take his marching orders from us. That's what I'm saying. God is sovereign, he's in control, but if you read this book and it'll mess you up because what you realize is every time in this book somebody prays, God starts working. So what we learn is that every time we pray, even when he doesn't work the way we would want us to, even when he doesn't work the way that we understand, we know God is working. So, so just because you feel like your friend is like just in this deep depression and nothing you can do, nothing you can say can lift him out, maybe that's true. But God can, All right? God can. So prayer storms even the strongest prisons. Um, prayer has a compounding effect. Um, they prayed for Peter to God. Um, God bless you. <laughs> um, um, and. Um, whew. That was a good sneeze. Um, it says they were um, praying together. A better like, translation, um, this is, you know, I love the NIV. It's my favorite version of the Bible. They didn't, you know, the translation is a little bit hard to understand. Um, the better translation would be something like this, and maybe if you're reading a different version, it says it like this. Prayer was being made by the church to God for Peter. Um, prayer was being made by the church. They got together. You think they didn't have stuff going on in their lives? Um, do you think they didn't have buddy league? Ba- well, they probably didn't have buddy league basketball in first century Israel. Probably not. You know, if they were real spiritual, they would. But, um, yeah, but but they had stuff. They had lives. They had places to be. They had kids to take care of. They had work to do. But what did they do? They stopped and they had a 24. <laughs> they stopped and they had a 24-hour prayer session. What do you think that would be like? Have you ever been a part of a 24-hour prayer session? I thought about trying one sometime, like an overnight prayerathon, but I just didn't know how that would go. Like, I'll be honest, I don't even know if I'd be able to last the whole time. But we may try it sometime this summer. We may have an all-night prayerathon. Okay, um, so we'll we'll see. But think about it. They committed and they got together for twenty-four hours. You know, it's sad that for us, you know, we have a hard time finding. Room in our schedule for one hour on a Sunday morning to get together with the people of God. They spent all night, and most, you know, a lot of scholars think they went from sundown to sundown, so all night, all day praying for Peter, praying for. You think they ran out of stuff to say? You know, I think I would have, but they were together. The point is, they got together. Um, some interesting verses that I think kind um, of you know, bring this argument together. Matthew eighteen twenty, where two or more people are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Anybody an Indiana Jones fan or you've seen the movies, I love some of my favorites. The new one just wasn't as good as the three original. The Temple of Doom has always been my favorite. And um, they have the stones. You know, on the Temple of Doom, they have the stones, the stones. The stones are stolen. That's a tongue twister. Stones are stolen. The stones are stolen. But what's so interesting is when you put the stones together... time I move, it's my beard. I can't stand the manliness of my beard. Um, when you when you put the stones together, they start shining, right? And and what we learn here it's you, can you pray by yourself? Of course. Is prayer by yourself effective? Of course. But there's something special, and we learn this in the Bible about when we get together and pray. It touches the heart of God in a special way. If you look at the instances, remember I went through, I'm not gonna do it again, but I went through all the previous times in which people had prayed and acts up to here, the Christians had prayed, it had always been together. They always prayed with someone, and I feel like that's flipped upside down in our culture today. Like sometimes we try to pray by ourselves, but like if you get together in your tag group tonight and your tag leader says, Okay, will somebody pray for us? That's my cricket noise. Ain't nobody want to pray, and so. But then, if the tag leader says, "I'm excited for our new stage. It doesn't have this drop off," and if your tag leader says, "What do you guys think about, um, what do you guys think about the chances of 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 Marshall this year actually having an OK team, even though they lost all their coaches?" Oh, I mean, you'll be talking about you know what Bill Egg did last year and how we lost Chuck Heater, and you, you'll you'll be spouting off all the Marshall stuff that you can. Um, All the martial stuff, all the martial factoids that you can muster. Talk to God. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Sometimes I wonder if our individual prayer lives aren't very effective because we know nothing of praying together. Some of the some of the like most I've learned about prayer is when I've been praying with people. Um, You know, you're probably you know you're kind of young, so and he doesn't come as often. But if you've ever heard um, one of our deacons, um, Brother Doby, pray, you'll learn a lot about prayer. Um, if you've ever been on mission trips with us and you've heard these missionaries pray, you'll learn a lot about prayer. There's something special about praying together. And in this case, it had a compounding effect that all these prayers were being offered up at the same time for Peter. And God showed up. And he got involved and Peter was delivered from this prison. Um, so. Who's your prayer partner? Who do you pray with? Look at the person next to you and say, will you be my prayer partner? You're not asking anybody to go on a date. You're just asking to pray. Okay? Uh, <laughs> will you be yeah. now? By the way, if and and I think this is helpful. Enlist someone to help you pray for this person that you're burdened about. But don't be a gossip. Don't be like you know, man. I, I, you know, Evan is in such a bad place right now. You know, like he's just like he, he's screwed up his life so much. I think I want to go tell Victoria about this, and we'll call it prayer. <laughs> hey. Let's pray for Evan. Let me tell you why you need to pray for Evan. You know, <laughs> And uh, we're not going to get into all the trouble Evan's having in his life. <laughs> but um, but you know, we're not talking about gossip here. We're not talking about gossip. We're talking about people praying, coming together and praying. So prayer has a compounding effect. Um, what else we learn? This is a really interesting one. Prayer is war. Prayer is war. Um, if you look at this, it's in this verse. There's so much in this verse. Like, do you realize, like, you can read, you can read a verse of the Bible and sp- probably spend a whole week just gleaning truth from it. Um, Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for him. If you look up this word earnestly, here's your Greek word of the night. You ready for your uh, Greek word of the night? Ectenes. Look at the person next to you say, Ectenes. Okay, so you look real smart. That's a Greek word. And that's the word that we translate earnestly here. And um, this word earnestly, it comes from a Greek verb called "actenes," which carries this meaning. It is used to describe this action, the stretching out of a hand. When I was a young lad, I had a, I was going to talk about the Maginot line, but we'll talk about that next week. If you're a World War II buff, I'll tell you about it after the service. Um, but um, I was a cubby. Any of y'all were cubbies in Alana? I was a cubby. Miss Joan was my cubby teacher, and you may not know this because she hasn't had it for a long time. Miss Joan had a pool, so Miss um, Joan had a pool, and we'd go and have a cubby a cubby pool party. I mean, you talk about a lit party, yeah, a cubby pool party. You know, we didn't bring our vests, you know, but um, you know, it was a bunch of you know, it was a bunch of sick, you know, five and six year olds like you know, bumping at Miss Joan's house. You know, we had some cubby bear music on the radio. You know, <laughs> had the little drinks with the umbrellas. and um, But we, I accidentally fell in the pool. Didn't know how to swim. And she, it was one of those, it was like a five-foot deep pool, but I was, you know. So all I could do, I could jump up, and I could take a breath of water, and I went back down. I jumped up and took a breath of water. So every time I'd stick my hand out, and like after the fifth time, I felt somebody grab my hand, and it was this big guy. Um, it was Jimmy King. And... Yeah, and he pulled me out of the water like that. I mean, he was, he was a pretty big guy. He just goes, boom, and it just sets me down. Um, but I was reaching my hand up just hoping somebody would grab it you know, and get me out of this water because I was drowning. This is what this verse carries. When it says earnestly, it's got the idea of reaching your hand up in desperation. So maybe if you put that meaning into this verse, you could say Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly reaching up to God in desperation, praying to God for Peter. They prayed with earnesty. They realized that prayer was war. Um, I'm, I love history. And in, in World War II, between World War I and World War II, the French built this line called the Maginot Line. It's, it's, it's on the area that separated France from Germany because they had been totally just rocked by the Germans in World War I in that area. So they dug it out. They, they dug it out. I think it was like 50 feet deep concrete barriers. They had people stationed there because they decided the Germans are never crossing into this territory, the Isos Lorraine territory again. Um, Long story short, the Germans did invade France, but they never captured the Isos Lorraine. It served its purpose, but they had to dig in. And apparently those guys, they, they had to stay in that ditch for most of the war because they were surrounded they had germans back here they had germans right here they were stuck but they were dug in and they were committed and for some of us you know our friends are in some very difficult situations our friends are in some very trying situations and what we have to do just like these christians who were praying for peter we got to dig in we got to we got to say you know what like i may not see my friend be delivered from this prison today or tomorrow or even this month or maybe not even this year but i'm going to keep praying I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to dig in. You know, Sometimes prayer is, is this like, incredibly enjoyable time like for me that I spend with God, and it's full of praise. Sometimes prayer is war, and it's not me fighting against God. It's me fighting against Satan when Satan's trying to discourage me and get me to give up on my friend. How many of you are like this close to giving up on someone because you think they're just never going to change? They're just never going to get saved. You know, their, their habits have been there for so long, there's no change in them. Can I tell you that these people, they didn't just dig in, they didn't have an hour-long prayer meeting and then have coffee and donuts afterwards and call that fellowship and go home. They stayed until Peter showed up. And some of us, we need to just stay on our knees until we see God working in the lives of our friends. Um, And then the final thing is prayer makes things happen. It's time to talk about the but. Peter was kept in prison, but the church, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Um, This is, if you look at that contraction, I want everybody to get out your Bible when you look at the word but. And this is where the whole story hinges. Everything before the word but was doom and gloom and Peter about to die. Then you see, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Then verse 6 starts the story of deliverance. Um. Imagine how distraught this church must have been. They just saw somebody they dearly loved publicly executed. Can you, I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around what that would be like to have someone that was a spiritual mentor to us drug out on the street and beheaded. Can you imagine how distraught they were? And then they found out Peter was captured and that he was going to be beheaded too. Can you imagine just how like, hopeless the situation felt? He was kept in this prison, chained to these guards. What are we going to do? How is this going to happen? And I wonder if for a moment their faith wavered. I wonder if the fact that when Rhoda showed up at the, you know, and it was like, hey, that's Peter knocking on the door, and they're like, no, it's not. It's probably his angel because he's dead. Like, I wonder if they had given up hope. Um, at the moment that God was getting ready to answer their prayers may have been the moment that their faith was shaky. Have you ever had a moment where you've been praying for something and, praying, and your faith is just it, its right on the edge and you feel like you're about to fall off and give up? And God comes through. God comes through. Um, We need to learn, and I think this is God's perfect object lesson. I don't think we need an object lesson for this. For some of you, you're this close to God answering your prayer. For some of you, your friend is this close to making a decision for Jesus. Some of your friend is this close to getting out of that terrible situation that they're in. And we need to be praying with one eye open. When I say that, I don't mean physically. Um, What I mean is we need to be praying with one eye open waiting to see God working as we're praying. I think some of us are so discouraged because we spend all our time just hoping God will do something. We stop looking to see what God's doing in our lives. Prayer makes things happen. Um, We're going to pray and go to TAG. Before we do that, um, Jeff, if you can put up that last slide. Um, This is just kind of a recap. We pray to God. We pray for others. We pray with others. We pray hard. And what we just talked about, we pray expecting God to work. Those are those five points, but that's how we actually do it. That's how we actually do it. So what I want to invite you to do, um, we're doing okay on time. What I want to invite you to do, um, Jeff, I I didn't mention this to you, but um, I want to have a time um, where you can actually pray for your friends. Um, Who is that person? When I mentioned this, you thought, that's my person. That's my prisoner I'm praying for. Um, I want to give you just a couple minutes. Um, we've done this before, um, and we've got to pray together, right? So what I want to invite you to do, you don't have to do this, but I'd really like for you to do this. If there's somebody that God's brought to your mind, <clears throat> um, I'd like for you to hear in a minute. Um, some of you have been here before, and you know the drill. I've got index cards, and I've got pens. And what I want you to do is write the name of the person that you're committing to pray for on an index card. I want you to take it to the front here, to the altar, and pray for this person. Don't pray for the card. Cards aren't people. Pray for the person, and then when you're done praying, that you would put it in here. Uh, what I'm going to do with them when they're turned in uh, tonight is I'm going to divide them among the leaders. You can just put the person's first name. You don't even have to put the last name that you're praying for, and what we're committing to do is that just as you're going to be praying for this person, that we will pray for this person by name every day over the next week that we'll dig in with you, that we'll fight the war with you. Um, So just going to play a little music uh, just so it's not so static. Um, If you guys want to come and join me, let's pray for our friends. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.